Hello, everyone. It's Frank and Darren back again, the Slow Lane Movie Podcast. And as you can see below me, we have a special guest, writer-director of Never Hike Alone 2, Mr. Vincent DeSanti. How are you, you sir? I'm doing well. How are you both doing? Good. Thank you for joining us. Oh, yeah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Thanks for uh, being uh, flexible with schedule and stuff like that. I've been bouncing around since I've been home, so I really appreciate it. Is it good to be home? Yes, it's very good to be home. I could finally get a good night's sleep and not worry about, like, is everything going to be done before the 13th? Are we going to get <laughs> this movie done? Scratch it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, when am I going to get an update on that shot? Oh, I wonder when they're going to finish the. I mean, literally, we finished Never Hike. Like, I keep telling people, Never Hike Alone released uh, 8 p.m., whatever, Mountain Time on uh on friday the 13th and it finished uploading and uh processing about 15 minutes before i hit share all so we were fixing things up to the last minute and there's still a couple little things that like we'll we'll catch for the blu-ray but um luckily we were able to get it out and get it finished and uh here we are a couple weeks later i've been able to come home and get some rest and just enjoy the uh enjoy the reception and, and enjoy the fact that once again, Friday the 13th fans have had something to cheer about and uh, that that's the goal. So mission accomplished. And now I'm just happy to be home and uh, look into the future. Good. Good. Uh, we met you out at Halloween 45 mm-hmm. and I have to say, ladies and gentlemen, I dwarf compared to these two guys and I'm six foot. <laughs> <laughs> these two, you mean these me? two? Oh, you mean Vinny and Jason? <laughs> These two, Darren. Darren is about six four, and Vinny just a, uh, just a, a tad taller by about another foot. Okay, my foot seven five. Okay, yeah, seven five. <laughs> Whatever. Um, because everyone thinks I'm the tallest. I'm the biggest one here, but I'm not. It's just, I'm going. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Like, 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 <laughs> like, like I'm like I'm lost. And Darren's holding my hand, saying, "We're going this way, Frank." Come on. Uh-uh. Chris Nelson was tall, though, wasn't he? He was surprisingly tall. He was like six five. Did you see him? Uh, do you mm-hmm. mind me calling you Vinny? I, I know the, yeah. the guys at Acnat call you that, but yeah, Vinny, um, Vinny's okay. usually what I go for. I'm back in New England now too, so Vinny's definitely the uh, common nomenclature around here. Uh, hey, Vinny! So <laughs> definitely, definitely fits right in. Yeah, yeah. Chris Nelson was like six four, six five. We were, we were both of us were looking at him like this huge guy. Mm. Mm. So, uh, Avidi, we watched Never Hike Alone 2, and I got that. I have to say something. One person out of this whole franchise has now had closure with this film. Uh, out of all the final girls and guys, there's actually just one that has closure after watching this. Like I, I that's how I interpret uh, interpret it. Because let's go through all the list, all the final per, all the final girls and guys. Um, Alice is dead. Mm-hmm. Ginny is still looking for Paul. Yeah. Chris and Muffin. And Muffin. And Muffin. And Muffin. <laughs> uh, Paul, Paul, Paul is probably, probably have eaten Muffin. She's, he probably <laughs> ate Muffin in the, in the process. Or Chris maybe Muffin ate Paul. That's true. It could be. Uh, okay. uh, Chris went batshit crazy. She's no point. Yeah. She's, yeah, no, she's, she's, she's useless. Somewhere. Uh, Pam, uh, Pam and Reggie are probably married to each other and probably became a TV movie on how you're not supposed to date your teacher. Mm. Uh, Tina and Nick are probably in Vegas performing magic shows. Yep. Okay. They got their own uh, nightmare Rainier, alley. Or- <laughs> yeah, they're <laughs> the sphere going. right now, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're the opening act for you two. 
Uh, Reddy and Sean are still lost in New York. Mm-hmm. Can't get out. Uh, Jessica has uh, has a blood lineage of of the Voorhees blood, and every person that comes after her is cursed with that. So there's no closure there. And uh, Rowan is on Earth 2 trying to prevent a bunch of KM robots from taking men as sexual partners forever. <laughs> the AI into um, the takeover on Earth 2. She's a fleshlight, basically. Yeah. Programmable. Easy. Yeah. So why Never do we heard. need why do we need Rowan or anybody? Right. We have KMs. Exactly. We'll just grow everybody else in a lab. Yep. So now I like how you you kind of put everything together. And does this is there closure in Never Hike Alone 2? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like this was the closure that I've been searching for as a fan for a long time. I and mean, ever since the release of, you know, Jason Goes to Hell, it wasn't that, like I expected New Blood or Jason Takes Manhattan to finish off the series. But ever since they said, you know, Jason Goes to Hell the final Friday, we were expecting something that was, you know, that would give us closure. And it was such a, you know, such a divergent sort of story path that they took in order to put that story together. And it never sat well with me. It never really made sense. And and from an early age, I can tell that there was something wrong. And, you know, as I got older and did research and realizing that like, well, you know, they'd used a lot of techniques that of like introducing all these new elements that were never in the series before. And that's why it felt off and why it didn't feel the same. And, you know, turning around being like, okay, well, I guess they'll realize their mistake and they'll fix it eventually. And then Jason X came out and, you know, invented new things about him being regenerative. And then there was Freddy versus Jason, which really didn't address anything at all. You know, and then the remake sort of just didn't fix any of the issues either. It just sort of leaned into the original issues and said, like, no, we're not going to fix them at all. We're just going to stay exactly the same. So (laughs) they'll get it. it. Yeah, they'll get it later. (laughs) They'll get it. They know what's going on. They're just here for the boobs and the blood. That doesn't matter. It's a story, yeah. but forget about that. And I feel like for me, I always like felt this narrative traveling through the the Friday films, especially in Paramount, that felt like one was building off the next, building off the next, and building to something, um, but never got anywhere. So Never Hike Alone, even though the first one wasn't necessarily meant to complete the complete story arc of Friday the Thirteenth, with the you know the opportunity to do Never Hike Alone two and you know involve Tom. Tom Matthews and Tommy Jarvis's character and use that as a, you know, as a vehicle to sort of like, let's pick back up where we left off. Where, where, when was the last place we left these characters and actually bring it to a conclusion that I thought could make sense. And looking back at the original films and looking at clues along the way that saying, well, if you took this storyline from this film and this storyline from this film and this piece and that piece and things that are kind of, you know, all that relate to one another, you can come up with the ending that we came up with never hike alone. And I feel like, you know, Tommy's explanation of what he, how he thought, you know, would do it. I feel like Tommy is the proper arbiter because he's the one who cares the most. Like Ginny, I think has the mental capacity to move on. Like she wouldn't have messed around with it. She wouldn't want to, to like kind of mess with Jason. She would move on with her life. Chris. Yeah. Probably insane. And in an insane asylum somewhere. Uh, Trish, I feel like has the same thing. Like Trish has no want or desire to return to Crystal Lake. She's happy leaving. She's happy wherever she went. You know, um, Jennifer Cook, uh, Megan, you know, didn't want to stay with Tommy in in Crystal Lake. She wanted to leave. She didn't want to be in the place where her dad died. But and all her all, all his baggage <laughs> and all his baggage. And you can tell that like of all the characters, J- Tommy would have the most baggage for Jason because 
His character went through three films. He was continually haunted by Jason in those three films. And you see the memes all over the place that every death after part six is Tommy Jarvis's fault. So why wouldn't he have that guilt to want to put the genie back in the, in the bottle? Um, and so that was the story that really stuck out to me about this sort of like I unleashed evil. And now what am I going to do about it? And being powerless to do something about it, um, you know, makes it even worse. And that all this time has gone on. Um, and so coming up with these different storylines and kind of feeding it in and really getting into the sense of the tone that we set with Never Hike Alone, which is like these are real people with families that if they go missing, people are going to be affected. Um, this isn't just like a cannon fodder, like, you know, you know, paper mache character that's like got no dimension to it, that these are people with dimensions and feelings and families and things like that. Um and that that's why Tom feels so guilty, especially when he bumps into Anna, uh, Diana Hill at the beginning of Never Hike Alone 2, where like his failure is right in front of him. This woman who's mourning the death of a kid, you know, that's on his watch is something that he lives with every single day. And it was reminding people that like these are real situations. This isn't, you know, just another party movie, you know, John Hughes, like teenage movie from the 80s mixed with some slasher that's going to come and kill everybody. That these are actually like um, these these are real people with with real lives. And Jason is affecting them all. And even Jason is, you know, was once a real person with a real life that lost his life against his own will. So it's, you know, there's all these different things that I wanted to bring to the surface because I always felt that Friday the 13th was something that could be taken a little bit more seriously. And as much as someone would want to laugh at somebody for being like, why would you want to take Friday the 13th serious? Well, Never Hike Alone 2 is the proof to say this is why. Because you can get a story like this and you can elevate the franchise to a place where it's never gone before. Because we've gone through, you know, the schlocky stuff for 12 films. It's time for it to find a new life. And if it wants to find a life with audiences today, it's got to meet a different standard that, you know, the standards from the 80s are, are long gone. And that's that, that was obviously my biggest issue with the remake when it came out. So, you know, for me, I think that if anything being able to give conclude like a nice conclusion to Tommy's story, but also bring a conclusion to Jason's story, which I think was the unexpected thing that we did. Cause that's a big swing and that's a big risk to be like, who's, who's actually going to take the, like the risk of putting Jason down for good. Like, who are you to do that? But to do it in a way that when people watched it and I saw the comments, it was like, this makes sense. I can accept this. And that's what I couldn't do with Jason Goes to Hell is like, I don't accept this. This is not canon to me. I'm not taking this as an entry to the franchise. This is bullshit. Like, give me the real Jason. You give lied me the real me. ending. You lied. <laughs> you mean the movie lied? Um, so, <laughs> so for me, this was this was therapeutic. If anything, to be like, okay, finally, this is this is how it could have been. We we did it with substantially less resources, but you know, at you know, they say like. Everything in cinema is the power of the story. The story will overcome everything. You know, we just so happen to be able to do it, you know, with a, you know, with the budget that we had in a pretty decent presentation as well. I, I like Tommy's internal conflict at the beginning. No matter mm -hmm. where he goes, he's still going to have these dreams. Mm -hmm. He's not safe anywhere. You know, and like you said, every, every final person could probably leave. They had one encounter. Okay. I think I finish that off and let's go let's go but he choose to stay and, and, yeah. and finish this yeah that and i i think that like the other fun thing was that like connecting each of the four main characters they're all dealing with some sort of ptsd you know kyle's still dealing with the fact that he feels like jason is still after him and even mm -hmm. if you know 
Jason didn't follow him to the hospital and just stayed back, that he would have went home and still felt like, oh, my God, around every corner, Jason's going to pop out. The fact that Diana, even though not coming in direct contact with Jason, is still haunted by this curse because she doesn't have answers to what happened to her son. So she lives with this PTSD of that. She brought her son to this town thinking that this would be a safer place for him to grow up. He ends up going missing. And not only does he go missing, she doesn't know you know, how she's going to get resolution from this because she's got to wait however many years it was, five years or four years to, to say, okay, once he's gone for this long, then we'll pronounce him dead and you can go through with the paperwork and do all that stuff and, and go through that thing. Until then, you just got to deal with the fact that like he may or may still not be out there, but she knows deep down that he's gone. And that Rick is sort of dealing with a similar issue as Tommy. But it's just spun a little bit differently in the fact that Rick does feel for the fact that there are a bunch of missing people in town. He does think that there's a nefarious sort of, you know, thing at play here. But he thinks it's Tommy because he can't justifiably say, oh, you know, revenants exist in this world and they kill people. Um, You know, he never saw Jason. And he's got to figure out how to justify his position as sheriff and what's going on with all these people. So, yes. All these missing people are keeping him from having to report all these different murders. But at the same time, he still can't figure out a way to pin it on Tommy. So he's haunted by the fact that he thinks Tommy is going to be the person who goes postal one day and, you know, walks into the hospital or does this stuff. So when things start to unfold, especially after the conversation he has with him at the beginning of the movie, he's like, okay, this guy has finally snapped and I have to do something about it. And I'm going to be the hero. Um, And through that and through those those flashback sequences and those dream sequences, you see that all of these characters are connected by Jason and Jason is there. And then, you know, even to a certain degree, Jason has his own visions that he sees, you know, and we brought that forth in Never Hike in the Snow, where he has his own things that he has because he's haunted by the death of his mother Mm -hmm. and the fact that he'll never be returning to her or that hasn't returned to her. And that's where I found his resolution like so everybody gets their resolution in the story that you know tommy gets to put the genie back into the bottle kyle no longer has to run diana has the answers about her son rick has the answers about what's really going on and finally gets a chance to play the hero he has doesn't quite get the full circle he doesn't you know quite make it but at least he got a chance to redeem himself and say like well if that is the enemy then now i'm on your side and i'm going to fight with you um And, you know, Jason finally got to be returned and reunited with his mother at the end. And he was, you know, at the at the end of the movie, sort of ready to move on, no longer had any fight left in him and was like, I just I just want to rest. And so everybody gets a conclusion that feels satisfactory and no one feels shortchanged, in my opinion. What do you what do you think Jason does? (laughs) <laughs> if, there's, if, the, if the camp's all abandoned and people are just coming and wandering in and just hiking and want to explore, what do you think he does in the meantime? Do you think he just sits, I think you know, he at wanders. the end? Just... Oh, you mean after the film? After Never Hike Alone 2? <laughs> no, I mean, like, during. It just like Because Jason never leaves the camp. He really just, just, like you said, he just wanders. But do you think he takes time just to reflect? Yeah. No, I think that's <laughs> honestly, like... And disappear. That's that's what's going on. He's reflecting on the fact that this is a cycle that will never break and he'll never be free of it. And the original concept for the disappear music video was to sort of like follow Jason around the camp, just lumbering around like there used to be people here. I used to be a kid. I used to play over there on that on that swing set. I used Bad to memories, good lake. memories, bad memories, good memories. 
memories of his mother being in the kitchen watching her cook as he's sitting on a chair, like, you know, behind sort of like everything so no one can really see him and just being and existing and realizing that like he's so disconnected from the person, the real life person that he once was as a child and trying to figure out what his place or his purpose is in this world beyond just being, or, you know, this revenant that's meant to ruins people's lives. I think it starts to catch up with Jason after a while. I feel like the Jason we met in the eighties was really like filled with his mother's rage was filled with the, like was, you know, tip like, Top fold, like with with rage for the curse. And I think that over time, especially after by the time you get done with part eight, you know, he's so beaten up. He's so broken. There's so there's nothing left of him that he's starting to think, why am I doing this? What is this? What the fuck am I like? I'm, I'm, you know, at the bottom of the Hudson River, half my body was just burned off by toxic waste because I had to chase this girl off this boat into the city. I'm half naked. I'm half naked. I got to walk all the way home now, taking this L. Somehow my face is fixed. Yeah. So what do I do? And, you know, and then he gets back there and, you know, the middle of the disappear music video, he's just sort of existing. And then, okay, people show up. I got to go do my job. He does his job. He does the thing. He picks the bodies up in the room and he says, okay, well, I guess that's it. I'll just sit here and be lonely again. You know, I never, I don't have friends. I don't get to enjoy life. I don't enjoy this. This is an enjoyable experience. I just, I don't sleep. You know, I don't sleep. I don't eat. I feel pain all the time. I feel myself rotting. Like that's gotta be a miserable existence. And I think that that's sort of like, in a sense, the concept of hell, you know what I mean? Like he's in this hell that, yeah, he's evil. He kills people. He does all these things. He's in that sense. But at the same time, he's suffering. And the part of the reason why he's doing these things and why he's so angry is because he's continually suffering and having to deal with this suffering. And so I think that that made it from a writing standpoint and from a character standpoint of having to play Jason, that I understood where he was coming from. And I understood what his mission was and why he was doing these things. It wasn't mindless. You know, I know Steve Miner's like, you know, famous quote is like, don't worry about what your motivation is. You just want to kill her. And it's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, That's- she didn't do anything to me. I know. So it's, you know, so like, again, that worked in the eighties when people didn't care. Now audiences are getting wiser. They want more. They want to be treated like they're smart and they want to look for these things where they can see the subtleties and, you know, care and being a viewer like that, you get rewarded and and being a director, being able to reward people for paying attention, for catching the little Easter eggs, for catching the emotional arcs, for all of those things that becomes a rewarding experience rather than just sitting back and like, just waiting for death scenes to come because everything else in between is shitty. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of feel like through, through watching never hike alone too, that Jason and Tommy need each other. I kind of got that, that kind of, that you know, they're, 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 they're yin and yang. One lives to see the other die. Mm-hmm. And it's one half of closure. If that were to be accomplished. Yeah. And then each other can get on with their lives because, mm-hmm. you know, the, Tommy's the biggest thorn in Jason's side. Mm-hmm. Always has been. You know, he's oh, the yeah. one who got away. Oh, totally. Um, yeah, he's the one who got away. He's put him down twice. And then even sort of his, if you believe like Jason's spirit, some somehow some in some way influenced Roy that, you know, even the spirit that 
follows Tommy around in part five. He defeats at the end. He shows up at the end of his bed and he wills it away, but at the same time becomes obsessed with still wanting to destroy Jason. And you see the where Tom McLaughlin may have sort of been inspired for him to like come off that and be like, no, I got to go destroy the body. Like he's still following me around. So I'm going to go make sure that like, if there's nothing left of him, then what, what can he really do to me? Um, yeah. Like Jordan just said, Tommy is Jason's Van Helsing. Like it is, it is, yeah, the yin and the yang. And I think that with Jason, I feel like he sees Tommy as a worthy adversary and sort of like the arbiter of pain. Like, Oh, if Tommy shows up and he ends up fighting me, like I'm gonna have to deal with something. Like he's mm-hmm. going to get a shot in. He's going to make my life miserable. He's going to bring the cavalry. I got to make sure he doesn't see me because he's the one who's going to bring the most issues. And he's the one who's toughest to kill. So I'm going to avoid him and, and let him go nuts. And I think that in a way, the curse that permeates this area and permeates this town is sort of telling Jason to stay away from him because they're working on Tommy. The curse itself is working on Tommy and driving him crazy. And eventually if it all works out the way the curse sort of sees it, if like the way it's sort of been being woven that one day Tommy will be charged for the crimes and Jason will be able to continue to go on to keep, you know, spilling blood on this land and feeding it this, like the souls of all these people that, you know, it's been collecting over the years that it's just this, you know, this evil corner of the world where bad things happen. Maybe his mom will be happy once I collect enough of this blood. Yeah, Instead maybe of her yelling at maybe, me in the back of my head. Yeah, you know, go get them, Jay. You know, and, and that's that's a really good point. The fact that he thinks like, how many bodies is enough that I get to be reunited with my mom? How long am I going to have to do that? It's sort of like um, Jack uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League, where you got Steppenwolf being like, "How many worlds? You have to conquer a thousand worlds." It's like a thousand. <laughs> we're on two i I remember sitting there like like when i was watching that being like that's a lot of fucking worlds yeah (laughs) that would be like mortal Kombat, just do nine yeah come on we we have um we have a question here from somebody that you might know um and uh, i think it you know there's a lot of this this is going to open up a a number of questions i think because i i have a few things to say on on what this person says as well so let me just play this for you this is from barry at wolfman's got nards Mm. hey vinette barry from wolfman's got nards here my question to you is before you started filming never hike alone way back in 2016-17 did you ever have an idea or did you already have an idea that you were going to do multiple movies that would create this coherent story by the end of Never Hike Alone 2? First of all, I love Barry's accent, so awesome. Uh, <laughs> I just I could listen to him talk all day. Uh, second, not necessarily. Um, I did have one sort of through line. This was before Tom Matthews became uh, involved. My idea was like I could make Never Hike Alone and maybe Never Hike Alone would be good enough to show Tom Matthews and then we could tell another story. So um, Kyle would have gone through the, all of the same things in Never Hike Alone and then would have escaped. And then in a second film, he would have been missing. And his brother was going to come to town looking for him and enlist the help of Tommy Jarvis to go help him find his brother, who is somewhere in the forest, who's like lost his mind. Um, we just so happened to get Tom earlier on and we were able to put him into the film. And it was sort of shortly after... Filming with Tom, having that good experience, basically like we filmed Tom in July and the movie released in October. Between July and October, the entire story of Never Hike Alone 2 came to me. It it was a little bit of a different um, 
storyline than there were was because at the time I thought I could get Jennifer Cook. Um, it was going to be a story about divorce and separation. And Jen was living in the city. Tom was living in the town. They had a daughter. And one weekend, the, the daughter and the, the and the mother get into a fight. She's driving out to see her dad and stay with her dad for the weekend. He's working as a paramedic that weekend. And, you know, by the time she gets there, he's going out on the call. And when he returns, his daughter is waiting for him. And that daughter character was really where evolved into the Diana Hill character. So once I knew I couldn't get Jen and I couldn't play, I didn't want to play with like alternate people playing these characters. I wanted the actual actors if I was going to do it. So that was sort of the original idea. It was a much bigger film. It was definitely a studio film because at the time we were thinking like we weren't in the in the lawsuit yet. Or if we were in the lawsuit, we were coming to a point where the lawsuit was going to come to an end. And Tom and I were pitching to Warner Brothers. Um, I did three meetings at Warner Brothers. Um, I pitched the entire Never Hike Alone saga, um, including Never Hike in the Snow. I had a you know this big outline, this big idea that I wanted to do, and then uh, Sean appealed. And so at that point, it killed the idea. And that's when I went, okay we don't have the money to make this movie. We've only raised $50,000 the most so far. So let's take this movie along with never hiking the snow, break it up into four uh, uh, different episodes by act, a prologue, first act, second act, third act, and, you know, epilogue, and then just kind of spread it out over time. And maybe we'll be able to make money and do it that way. Um, you know, we did never hike in the snow. We raised way more money than I thought we would for that. So we we're able to expand on that story and make it big. The original story for never hike in the snow was just supposed to be about a generic hiker, not a generic hiker, a generic hunter and his wife. But my friends um, made a, a film called his name was Jason. And that was all about hunters. And so I was like, you know what? I don't want to step on someone else's toes or have, you know, you know, competing sort of storylines about the same thing. Let me think of something else. And that's when I thought of, oh my God, this whole series started about a mother who lost her son. So why don't we tell a story about a mother who lost her son? And then that mother's present in the next film with Never Hike Alone 2 being the, you know, the answer to the story that started the whole thing. A mother never found her child and she went crazy and started killing people. So let's give a mother the closure that the films never gave to Pamela to a character who's our, you know, who's actually a good guy. So Slowly but surely, I just sort of like started to bend things into this shape. It didn't start this way. I never had any inclination that I'd ever make as many as I did or that it would go on this long for six years and seven years if you can't when we started filming. Um, but it definitely like there were pieces there and there were things that I wanted to see. Uh, but the ending ending was always something that I think was was in that from the beginning. Jason was always going to get beheaded. He was always going to end up at the lake at the end of the film. You know, Tommy was always going to be there. Kyle was always going to be there. Originally, Rick was going to live. Um, mm. The original version, Rick lived. Uh, in fact, the, the joke was, is that they, after the hospital, they escaped to the sheriff's station. And there was a whole scene in the sheriff's station where Jason bursts in and their only option is to lock themselves in the jail cell the same way that Rick got locked in the jail cell in part six. And so Jason can't get through. And it was Deputy Dispatch who was played. It, I think it was Bedard and ended up in the film. He's the one who gets into the gun battle with Jason and Jason just absolutely destroys him. Um and from there, the characters are able to escape. Uh, one set of heroes go to the camp, and then Rick goes to get reinforcements. At the end of the movie, after they've killed Jason, and they're all sitting there on, on the shoreline. I want, like, in the big studio movie version, you were going to hear, hear um, like, boat engines 
like coming over the horizon and a helicopter and like the helicopter was going to pull over the thing and like shine the spotlight down. And there was going to be Rick with like the thing. He's like, where is he? And he's got like a machine gun. And, and <laughs> I was like, it's done. We're good. <laughs> and Rick's like, Shit. I don't know if you guys have ever seen um, uh, loaded weapon one. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> when they blow up Bruce Willis's. Uh, yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. like, Hey, What's your problem? <laughs> I just sort of had that as the scene chemistry in my head that he's down there like, oh yeah, thanks, thanks for showing up now. Um, so there was, there was it was a lot of bigger ideas, and so when we went to the aspect of like, okay, we think we can raise one hundred fifty grand to do this movie, we ended up needing about two hundred fifty thousand dollars to do this movie as it is right now. Um, but thinking like, okay, what are the scenes that I can shave down and go do and kind of. Uh, really condensed to get it to fit within the budget that we had and so that's when we ended up having that whole thing take place out in the hospital parking lot where rick gets his redemption but he ends up taking the take the hit for the deputy versus so in fact the deputy is actually uh vinnie guastafaro's son roman so vinnie's son lives and gets to carry on the torch so maybe he'll be the next sheriff of crystal lake after this there's a curse there too right not only kids and parents but you know jobs yeah. Mm-hmm. Were, were you were you consciously paying homage to Halloween two at all? Oh, totally! Halloween two is my favorite Halloween movie. Yeah. I love that movie. Hot tub, hot tub. Yeah, Halloween two is more of a Friday. Yeah, Halloween two is more of a Friday the Thirteenth film than it is a Halloween film, and I think that's why I like it so much. It's not that I don't love the original, but there was just something about Halloween two that really freaked me out. I mean, even the scene where Kyle falls out of bed and is crawling towards the door and Jason's coming after him. I like that whole thing. Like that's one of the most tense sequences in Halloween is when Jamie Lee Curtis is so out of it and she's just slowly trying to get away from Michael and crawl through the window. I thought that was a great tension builder. And we got to mix in sort of the moment where Jason smashes through the glass and we get a similar angle to the part three poster. Um, that was very famous, the 3D poster of him coming through yeah. the glass, you know, there. So we were like, there's little moments where we just wanted to give fans a real-life view of some of the concept work that we never got to see from previous Fridays and bring those things to life and give them things that they've always wanted to see. But yeah, Halloween 2, huge influence. Cool. Um, we have another question here from someone else you might know. I'll just play this for you now. Hey, Frank and Darren from The Slaughtered Lamb, and hey, Vinny. I uh, love Never Hike Alone, too. So I guess um, thanks for Frank and Darren for allowing us to ask Vinny a question here. So my question is, if you were in charge at Paramount bringing Friday the 13th back, they gave you all the money you needed, all the talent you needed, where would you jump off from? Would you jump off by going right back to the bidding, beginning, doing the original Friday the 13th and creating your own lore and making everything cohesive or would you spawn off from a final chapter? Would you just do a bigger version of Never Hike Alone? I'd be curious. Um, if there are no limitations, what would you do? Thanks. Thanks, Jason. Um, in fact, I just want to say thank you for the wonderful review that you gave us. I had a lot of fun watching it. I like seeing people get really amped up by the movie, so it was really fun to watch his review. Um, 
there's two answers for this. I will just say this, that like a continuation is basically out of the picture. If we go studio, there is no way to tie the rights, the way that they're built to say like, okay, let's just pick up from final chapter or part six or do any of those things. Like fan films are the only way that happens. So that was what's so unique about never hike alone. The way that went there. If I was given all the money in the world and I had no limitations, I would start from scratch. I would take all of the elements that built the first four films and even elements that led into the later half of the series and set it up from the very beginning. I wouldn't go deep into lore. I wouldn't go deep into those things, but what I would make it. And the thing that I would carry over from Never Hike Alone is the emotional through lines with specific characters and not just creating characters that are one and done's or, you know, films that feel one and done and don't connect to each other, but come into it with a plan that there are three films that are going to come out. And this film is, this is the point of this film. And this is the point of that film. And this is where it's all going to come to a, a conclusion, you know, do things that we've seen before, then start to bend it into things that maybe we haven't really seen yet and ended on something that we've never seen before, but feel like a natural progression out of the story that we started. Um, you know, everything that I've done with ghost Jason in the never hike alone world has been, he's been a revenant since the very beginning, but there's a large section of the population in Friday the 13th that believe Jason was a human being for a while that he survived the drowning. So that is a viable storyline that could be followed, but in the way that it's done in the original uh, Friday the 13th, it doesn't make any sense. I can't imagine Jason being in the woods for from 1956 all the way to 1979 and never once trying to contact his mother or come into civilization or even see his mom going around camp because obviously she's sneaking around the woods and spying on it. How do they not run into each other if he is also doing the same thing at the same time? So there are you know, story issues to solve in that realm if you're going to have Jason be a human being character. But the, basically, the long and short of it is, is that like I would focus it around Steve Christie. Uh, Steve Christie is a camp counselor in 1956 who is actually the one who is responsible, was supposed to be looking after Jason and didn't, led to his death. And then 20 years later, he's coming back to redeem himself because it's his fault that all of this stuff happened. And, you know, it, Pamela wouldn't wait 20 years to start killing people. She would start killing people that summer. And that's where the confusion is because when everybody thinks Jason is dead and she's out killing people, that's when she realizes the mistake that she made. And then Jason wears the guilt of the fact, like I didn't make it in time pass enough and my mother died. And so now I got to deal with this The camp shuts down. Steve Christie shows up many years later um, with a new group of kids to say, you guys are going to help me rebuild this place, this place. And, and there's actually some of Steve Christie's, this idea was actually put into Kyle's speech and never hike alone one, where the fact is like, look at this place. It's beautiful. This is one of the greatest places that's ever existed. Like I came here, so many good memories here, but one bad memory is ruining it for everybody. And if we rebuild this place, we can rebuild and make more good memories. And you got to stick with me on this. But the problem is, is Jason is living within the camp and has been for some time. And it's not like 2009 remake where he's dug tunnels and all this stuff. He's actually like got secret rooms and hidden things and there's dilapidated cabins and things like that. So as these kids are trying to fix the camp, like in the first movie, and it has a lot of the vibes of part one and part two, things are happening. They're getting sabotaged. They feel like someone's watching them and slowly, but sure, people are getting injured. And then when, you know, the warnings aren't enough, that's when Jason steps out and strikes. And then we establish a new lore for how he finds his hockey mask. We establish a new lore for like what the townspeople think about this place. And then from there, it's it starts to be like after the first film, where does it go from here? And then where does it end? And so that's really the foundation of it. But I would say that 
if I was also given the opportunity, if I went in and I said, Hey, I want to do a trilogy and blah, blah, blah. And I, I want to do all this stuff. And they said, listen, kid, you got one film. I would say like, okay, if I got one film, let me remake never hike alone, but I'm going to give Kyle a dog. And I'm going to add more people that he encounters along the way. And the escape is going to take a lot longer. And Jason is going to follow him for a long time. And it's going to be a little bit more. He's going to get into public eventually. And Jason's going to have a chance to build a body count. But we will do the things that we did in Never Hike Alone 1 with a bigger budget and more stunts and, you know, more injuries. And then, you know, some we probably wouldn't bring a Jarvis character in like that anymore. It would be a completely fresh story. So we wouldn't try to tie it into the old lore. It would be completely all the way through. So those are the two avenues that I would go. If I, if I could do a trilogy, I'd do a trilogy. If I got one, I'd remake Never Hike Alone in the most biggest and best way possible. I, I always thought that the missing opportunity was seeing Jason grow up as this deformed child, not hearing him speak mm-hmm. and just seeing and him and his mom going through the country, trying to find a perfect place, you know, for them to live yeah. or crystal Lake becomes that place until, you know, something <laughs> happens because it's Jason's a sympathetic character. If you want to make it that way, but then you get a lot of these people that just want blood and guts. That's yeah. all they knew. That's all they, that's, that's all they, they ever want in this series. Um, do you do you think it's a danger going that way, showing Jason as a little kid, having him speak, be something ne- that we'd never seen before, seeing a mother's anguish, a mother ne- could never protect him, and uh, seeing you know him being bullied? Do you think that's a dangerous route to take if you wanted to go into a, a separate movie if they gave you money? I think we're about to watch that in the form of a Peacock streaming series written by Brian. <laughs> we Miller. think, and, right? We think. <laughs> no, I think that's where it's going to go. Um, I do have a film. I do have a short story written called Pamela's Story that talks about that. That talks about this woman who had to go on the road, living with this deformed child as a single mother in the '40s and '50s, being um, judged everywhere she goes. And um, you know, in my opinion. There's very much that sort of there's like an almost a like get out factor to it in a way uh, in the meaning that like, yeah, you show up and everybody says the right things like I would have voted for Obama three times if you let me. But really, <laughs> these people have sinister motives that the fact that like, yeah, they want to help the poor woman who's on the road and they're a little bit more liberal and they're a little bit more accepting. And we're here to help your child. We'll take care of you. And then when she's like, well, my child doesn't play with other kids, he goes, no, no, no. We'll take care of them. Go ahead. Let them play with the other kids. Let them go out there. Let them experience a childhood. We'll keep them safe. And then he dies. And she says, you said you'd keep them safe. Who's going to be accountable? And they go, <laughs> the Christie. I don't know. <laughs> no, my, my son's got a scholarship to Northwestern next year. He, he can't go to jail for this. So accidents happen. You're going to have you to should have been watching them. You should have been watching it. You know what I mean? He shouldn't have gone down to the lake by himself. We were told him to wait for a supervision and, and that's it there. Well, you know, so it's, there's sort of like, there is, there's motivation there. And then you would understand why this woman who has been, you know, an outcast her entire life, all of a sudden is, you know, she loses the one person who was the only person who stuck by her this entire time. The only love that she had in this world, this bond between mother and son, and you understand her and you understand why. And we get glimpses of that in the first movie. Um, I also love one of the interviews that Betsy Palmer did uh, back in the day where she talked about that, where she talked about the original father being a high school sweetheart that ran off on her. And that's why she wears the class ring. That was his class ring. Um, and connecting those things and using elements from the original franchise to say, like, listen, I'm not reinventing the wheel here. I'm just using pieces and ingredients that they never cooked with before. 
And if they cook with these ingredients, you're going to get a taste of your meal. Um, when it comes to the, to the kills and stuff like that, it, you know, kills are great. You, they should be bloody. They should be interesting. You should give your effects artist something to play with and do that you haven't seen before. But what happens between the kills has to be watchable. It has to keep you entertained. And when you get to that point where a character is going to die, you've got to care about them and you've got to be distracted. You've got to forget that you're in a horror movie for a second and be like, oh, yeah, this is a story about, oh, shit, yeah, that's right. People die in this. <laughs> like, that is that is how you, you surprise people. When you're sitting back just waiting for people to get murdered, you know, that's that's why we got so many people doing this during films, like, just being like, yeah. <laughs> There's a boom. Boom, 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 boom. Rewind it. Pause it. You know what I mean? And then, like, even then, like, now in the days, it's like, listen, if a kid wants to see a boob, he's not going to go watch a Friday the 13th movie. He's going to no. pick up his phone and just type into the search bar and get plenty of stuff and say, yeah, I'm 18. You know what I mean? So, like, it's it's just kind of silly, I think, to sort of fall back on those old narratives. And, yeah, there, there's an audience for it. But I feel like that audience is dwindling. It's a very small, niche, loud audience in the horror world because they are sort of a lot of the lifeblood and a lot of people that do that. But for a Friday the 13th film, it can't just be for horror fans. It's, it, it's a bigger entity. This is a this is a Super Bowl franchise. You know what I mean? Like this, mm -hmm. you know, Freddy, Jason, Leatherface and Myers. You can't just make niche horror movies for horror fans. You have to have something that appeals to wider audiences while giving them the horror that is going to satisfy horror fans. So that's the challenge. And, um, and why I, I think I spend so much time really focusing on, you know, not, not having to go to the old formula that Sean would say, which is like every five minutes you either need Jason or boobs. Um, we, we managed to do and be successful with never hike alone through three films without having to do that. And just when yeah. we got to the kills, we made the kills so good that you forgot for the last 15 minutes, it's just been a bunch of characters talking about what they're going through. But those conversations were the, the conversations we've been waiting to hear. We've been waiting for Tommy to say these things for decades. You know, we want people to say things that are smart that we would say in real life, that we would try to deal with these situations and sort of comprehend what's going on and not just say like, well, it's a movie. Don't think about it too much. And so that is, that is definitely a, a challenge, but it's worth it in the end when you can create something like that. How would you do the opening to the first Peacock Crystal Lake memory, uh, Crystal Lake uh, show the first opening? What would it be? Okay. Um, I'll pitch you, I'll pitch you the opening to the Pamela story. Cause that's how I would do it. It would start with a taxi cab in the rain in a beautiful New Jersey suburban neighborhood in the middle. No of, such thing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, in, the, in 1950s, in the 1950s. Okay. Okay. Um, it's 1956. It, it's fall. Yeah, it's fall 1956. You're out in the suburbs in, in New Jersey somewhere. And this, this old tiny ta taxi cab pulls up to a, a family home and a woman gets out and starts walking towards the house inside the house. You know, she steps up. You can't really see her face yet, but through the window, you can see somebody on the phone. And this gentleman is, you cut into the house and, you know, he's on the phone and he's talking to his wife. Yeah, honey, I, I just got home from work about 10 minutes ago. Did you make it up to your mother's? Okay. Oh, how are the kids? Oh, okay. That's good. All right. Well, let me shower up and blah, blah, blah. And I'll be up there. Uh, hang on a second, honey. I'll be right back. And he puts the phone down and walks over and answers the door. And there standing in the doorway is Pamela Voorhees. And he goes, Pam? She goes, hi, Eli. He goes, what are you doing here? I, I just came to tell you that your son is dead. 
and he just kind of stops. And you realize that this guy has gone on. He married, he remarried or he got married, had new kids of his own, has a brand new family living a life beyond whatever Pamela has been dealing with. And he's like, Oh, that's right. I did put a baby in you. I did have another son. <laughs> I, you know, kind of all this, like he just put this path. You know what I mean? He, he yeah. got past this. His parents were like, no, no, my son's not going to have a child in high school. He's going to college and he's not staying here to raise a child with some farmer's daughter. Like he's, it's not his kid. She's, she's a slut, blah, blah, blah. All these things that like he let happen to her so he can get away and live his life. But she still isn't necessarily throwing back in his face just yet. She just thought that he should know. And she goes to leave and it's pouring rain and the taxi leaves. And he's like, listen, like come in for a second. Let's talk. So he grabs the phone, tells his wife, Hey, I got to go. You know, I'll talk to you a little bit. Hangs up the phone. And the beginning would be them sitting down at the coffee table and him saying what happened. And she would go into the story and you would flash back in time and you would tell the entire story of what led up to those moments. And these tea, this like coffee side, this coffee table chat where she's telling him everything that she's gone through. And that's, that's how I would start it off. Very good. Very good. I, I always thought it would be nice seeing that the reason why she doesn't want Jason near the water is because his father saved him from drowning. Then he drowned. Well, I, I, I always go from the standpoint of what Betsy said, which was this guy left when it was, when he was early and he's never been around. It's only just been Jason and, and Pamela that they'd never had an, a, a male figure in their life. Anytime Pamela has gone on to try and date, it has not worked out. And anytime Jason has tried to make friends, it has not worked out. And one of the core themes between these two characters at the end time is that like, yes, they have each other. And like, we do, you know, we love our families and things like that. But we all have our secret desires. And Pamela does have this deep down guilty desire that she wishes she could date and fall in love with somebody and, and have a relationship and a full family. And Jason wishes that he could hang out with the kids. So you start to see this thing where as she starts to pursue her thing, maybe she starts to fall in love with one of the Christie's. Maybe like she gets distracted by somebody while she's at camp. She thinks life's coming together. And when she's starting to pursue something that is going to lead to what she perceives as happiness in life, that's the blind spot that's created that allows Jason to die. And with Jason wanting to go and be with friends and be and, and make friends and be like the other kids that when he starts to do that, he starts to see that like he's going to get picked on, that the kids are going to bully him, and that there's no getting around it. And one of the things I wanted to weave into it was the fact that a young 16, 17-year-old Steve Christie who works at the camp has good intentions, is actually actually becomes Jason's friend, is supposed to look after him. But it's the one day that Steve gets distracted by his girlfriend, who I would say is Claudette, um, that allows Jason to, to go off and get killed, you know? The next year, Steve's sent off to boarding school. He's not allowed anywhere near the camp because he's brought shame to the family. Claudette moves on. She starts dating Barry. Pamela follows her and Barry and kills them both and uses that as a thing. So, like, those are the ways that I would start to connect and weave things around. You can go um, so many routes. And then when yeah, you so many think routes. of something, you can like, no, no, let's go back. Let's do this. Let, let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's have her go track down the sperm donor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I think that that. And, and I think that, like... I won't spoil anything about the end of that scene, but I would just say like, by the time they get done with that conversation, I think this would be the pilot or it would be something in there. But the fact that like, when you get to the end of that scene, you would start to realize there's one other thing going on with Pamela and that she's being haunted by the spirit of her son, 
calling mm. out to her, constantly asking for help. And you start to see that she's starting to twist and she's mm. starting to turn dark and she's starting to want to take her revenge on the people that wronged her. Yeah. And that And this is where it begins that he in spoiler alert, but like in a sense, he is the first victim of, of her revenge. That there is no Elias that comes back years later with a Necronomicon and resurrects General Like Cut to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, you know, he, she she starts with him. You motherfucker, you left us. Type mm. of thing. And then it moves on family. to like, uh, I think the family gets away. They're up at mom's. But, yeah. You're not being but, bloody enough. But I would say the, the visual of the way she leaves Eli uh, in his own home um, is kind of a cool thing. And there is a little surprise sort of like, I don't know. I can't really say it without giving it away, but there's sort of like a surprise with his character too, in a, in a way that happens long-term. Um, mm. But that it, it becomes this, yeah, that it's all interwoven and, you know, all mm. these characters are connected and there's, there's a long narrative here and it's all, and it's all rooted, not in just, horror movie schlock but emotion that we all can relate to talking of interwoven um i was obsessed in never hike alone too with the fact that you went back to revisit a scene from the original never hike alone and when frank and i watched it and did our little review i was picking up real kind of back to the future two vibes you know when you, (laughs) you go back and you reshoot a sequence seamlessly uh, using different camera angles with people in the same costumes, looking the same. Uh, I'm sure you can pick out little bits where things don't quite match. But for me, as a viewer, I was like, wow, is he using footage that he shot the first time round? Or has all this been reshot again? You know, how did that, you know, how difficult was that to approach? And, and how long did it take to execute? That was all shot in one single night. Um, the whole wow. scene. And that's, and that's how we did the original, uh, uh, ambulance scene too. That was all shot in one single night with Tom mm. being there that night. Um, the only shot that we used from the original Never Hike Alone in that sequence was Tom stepping on the gas pedal. <laughs> but oh, GoPro really? that we stepped just that little, there's that one shot, just that one insert. We were like, Hey, you know what? We still have that shot of him stepping on the pedal, right? Let's just reuse <laughs> that. We don't have to get that again. Um, we had to reshoot everything for, for two reasons. One, I thought I could do a much better job a second time around. Um, learned a lot of lessons on that first trip to the woods. Uh, some of the things didn't come out quite the way I wanted it to. I wanted to see what happened outside the ambulance. And the original idea was I would bring back the original actor and actress to play Denny and, and, uh, Axel. Um, and then I'd be able to interweave both scenes. The problem is, is that my, the actor who plays Axel ended up getting onto Perry Mason and his actor and his agent said, you can't do fan films anymore. And yeah, he, he had to bow out. So he didn't want to do it. Um, and then the other actress wasn't available and wasn't interested in coming back either. So I just saw it as an opportunity to be like, let me reset because I got to introduce these characters at the beginning of the movie, give them a little bit more of a backstory. They'll carry it there. And I just thought that like, Hey, this is, this is the scene, the way it should have happened. And so if you watch both films, you could just see it from this way. Like the first film is everything from Kyle's perspective and we get mm-hmm. all of Kyle's perspective from there. Everything else is from Tommy's perspective. And we see Tommy's perspective through all of this. So it was giving the two angles and also sort of, you know, we didn't have the money back then to do the Ranger idea. That was a, an idea I had very early on, but I was like, I don't have money for a Ranger vehicle and a Ranger and we don't have time to shoot all that stuff. So 
we never put the ranger idea in there. And plus we never really cut to it. So it was really about looking at it and being like using without cheating too hard. How can I make this fit within the original, the original film without, without cheating and then fix it, just polish it up a little bit more. So I changed a couple lines of dialogue, you know, adding the ranger really helped because it showed that like, this is how they ended up. Cause everyone asked, how did he find Kyle? Like, what do you mean? Like, how did this happen? And it was like, well, let's show you. And this is exactly how it happened. And it gave us an opportunity to show how cunning Jason is. Jason systematically works his way through everybody in this film without letting that ambulance get away with his prized possession until the very end because he was interrupted by Axel the way that we know that he did in the first film. And being able to see that action and do that stuff, I think, added to the film, although I still stand by the fact that it was fun to do the one or in the back of the ambulance in the first film, to keep it all in the perspective of inside and everything's happening outside. So I think it was a cool way to sort of do that. Yeah. Um, and I would, and so there's like, a, yeah, there's a mix of Back to the Future 2, where we're seeing a scene that we've seen before from a different angle. And there's a little bit of an Evil Dead 2 as well, where you're just sort of going through the same story beats, but doing it with a little bit more of a better budget and, um, and things. And the things that change, like completely different ambulance, completely different actors, they're in completely different costumes, we're in a completely different location. Uh, we shot in a better location that had bathrooms nearby and, you know, still sort of had the same look, but, um, from a production standpoint was much of a better uh, it was a much better um, just sort of like logistical place to shoot at. So it ended up working out and, and bringing, and I'm just, I'm happy we got a chance to sort of like go back and be like, Hey, I know that the biggest criticism for never hike alone one was like, Hey, everything is going great. And then you get to that ambulance scene and it's a little, uh, and it was like, you know what? I, I get it. I, I see it. Let me answer those questions and let me give it get another shot to like improve it a little bit more. So it was definitely a chance to go back through and be like, here are the lessons that I've learned. And now we have more resources and budget. So let's do it the way that I would have wanted to to do it five years ago if I had the, the right money. Well, I, I certainly did. I mean, I watched Never Hike Alone when it first came out. And then I watched it again the day before you sent us the screener uh, of Never Hike Alone 2. And I didn't notice that the actors have changed at all. I think because y y you go back uh, at the start of the movie, you show them as they're prepping to go out together. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, it's the same people, you know. Um, great job there. I, it, it had me fooled. And and to be honest, it, it blends seamlessly. I mean, it, I was astounded by the way that you'd managed to kind of, in, you know, interweave these these two movies like that. Was, I've been waiting to do that for a long time too. I just knew that it was going to be a lot of fun to like, just sort of like, you know, everybody had a lot of questions at the end of Never Hike Alone, a lot of questions at the end of Never Hike in the Snow. And they're like, where is this going? Where is this going? It's like, I, if you guys can just trust me, wait till you see me weave all these threads together. And so it was, it was like a big relief, you know what I mean? To be like, here's how it all fits. And then to watch it come together and, um, you know, and the, and people understood. And, and a couple of my friends who watched it early, they were like, you know, for a little bit, I was a little confused. Cause I didn't know where we were at in time. And then as it all started to weave, I was like, Oh shit. Now I understand what's going on. I was like, yeah, like now we get to have, you know, now you get it. Um, and so it's been, uh, yeah, it's definitely been a, a, a ton of fun to do that. Cool. I was waiting for say maggot head. Say it. <laughs> hey, maggot head. We got a couple. <laughs> um, hey, maggot head. <laughs> we said it. We have another question here from uh, a follower of ours, a member of ours called uh, Jeff Faust. Now, he he um, apologizes off the bat because he had to um, cut down his question and speak really fast 
to keep the file size small enough for him to be able to email to us. Okay. So um, if you want us to play it again afterwards, I can do, but let's give it a shot. What was it like to work with Tom Matthews and the guy that played Deputy Rick Cologne? And did you get any behind-the-scenes stories of Jason Lib or maybe a Return of the Living Dead behind-the-scenes story from Tom Matthews? All right, cool, cool. I got that. Um, it was... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was an absolute pleasure. I mean, I got to work with Tom many, many years ago, and obviously we got to work with Vinny on Never Hike in the Snow, too. Uh, so, But behind the scenes, I've just kept a continuing relationship with both of them. I mean, Tom, I talked to a lot. Um, you know, we were always kind of hashing out how we were going to get Never Hike Alone 2 done and what the schedule would be. I actually started going to Vinny's uh, acting class, The Sport of Acting, uh, which he doesn't do anymore. It stopped during the, during the COVID years. But I spent two years in his class just studying – you know, how he worked with actors and, and trying to get better at becoming a director. Um, when it, you know, when it comes to uh, speaking with actors, the communication, all those different things. So, you know, they've both been mentors of mine in a way where they saw my potential. They saw what I've been doing. They were inspired by the stories that I was telling and stuff like that. And then helping me feel comfortable in those shoes and, and treating me like I was a director it really, really, really helped. Um, as far as like good fun stories, uh, Tom told me a fun story that like Dan O'Bannon was like, really eccentric and used to like his house was filled with like guns and porno magazines and that <laughs> above his bed was this giant steel dome that if there was ever an earthquake and his building toppled, that this dome would fall on top of his bed and protect him from the building. <laughs> Falling on top of him. So I always thought that that was really, really crazy. That uh, so there was that. Um, was, was this porn inside the dome as well? So it, was just lined, it was all like taped up there. So at least he was stuck in there with his girls. Um, uh, Vin, let me see. Vin told me, you know, funny stories about like him auditioning for Shocker. Um, and he was just like, and, and like, he went all out. Like he just did his thing. Cause Vinny's so intense and he just has such a big personality mm -hmm. that he did that. I can't remember the name of the exact name of the character, but um, he went and he just went all out. And Wes was like, that's the guy. And, <laughs> and basically sent everybody else home after his audition was like, this, this is my, this is my cop. Uh, so that was good. You know, Vince told me tons of stories about like working for Michael Mann. I think he was in like 10 or 12 Michael Mann plays. Um, wow. and, mm. you know, did some time on, um, did some time on Broadway and his love for theater. Um, I think his true, his true initial love was doing the theater and, and theatrical performances. He's, you know, that's why I think he's so big and boastful and he speaks with such a loud voice. Uh, you know, he has the nuance to do everything. You know, he told me stories about, um, working on NYPD blue, that there was a lead actor on that he used to keep his door closed, but then, uh, who is the guy who's in, um, I got to remember his name. I'm just having trouble. Remember it. It he's in get shorty Dennis Farina. So Dennis oh, Farina yeah, is yeah. on NYPD blue. So there was one character on NYPD blue who like shut his door and kept people out. And it was like, was a real dick, but Dennis Farina used to leave his door open and he'd always order like a meat plate and cheese and everything and invite everyone into his, his, his suite <laughs> to like, you know, it doesn't matter if it was a PA or it was a, a, a co-star or a guest star or a background actor that he was just like very cool and like, you know, very open. And so it's just like, and you know, Vin's also got like a, a connection with like the Chicago based actor. I think he did a lot of acting in Chicago coming up when he was young. So he's friends with a lot of, you know, a lot of Italian actors out of that area. And would just tell me stories about that. They used to get together and, and do like pizza nights in LA and, and just kind of like, 
you know, share stories and stuff like that. So it's just, I mean, you just sit back and listen to these stories that they tell about working with legends and, you know, as a young filmmaker, I mean, I, I just turned 40, I guess I'm sort of young, but, um, you know, at the time being in my early thirties and, and growing up with them sort of through this, it was just really like sitting back and listening and learning. And that's really what I, I would take away is I learned a lot from both of them and they did a lot to help uh, shepherd me along. I, I, I find it funny that uh, we were Darren and I both love return of the living dead and uh, the behind the scenes and listening to Tom talk about this being his like first major movie and his experience with producers and yeah. what they really are. That he says, mm-hmm. all I know is that they come in there, spend money, and they drive fast cars. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he's funny. Yeah, Tom's funny. Actually, Tom, actually, I'll tell you one more funny story about Tom. Tom, I, I think is pretty well known, but Tom is good friends with George Clooney. They do his and, house? Wow. Well, yeah, <laughs> they yeah, do his house? <laughs> maybe. He, he actually, I think he has done work for George, but him and George came up together through acting school. And before any of them broke in big, they were actually roommates. And there was actually one point where George Clooney got out of his, like got kicked out of his house and he was sleeping in Tom's closet. <laughs> and, and, uh, and what ended up happening was, is and Tom told me the story. I think this is hilarious. I don't, know, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I'll say it anyway, because it's such a good story. The fact George once admitted to Tom that nights that he can't get a good sleep, in his big palace in Italy, he will get his blanket and a pillow and go into the closet because it <laughs> comforted him and he'll just sleep in the closet in his mansion because it brings him back to the nights of sleep that he used to get in town. So I thought that that was pretty funny that like, like R Kelly. Hey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, you can imagine his closet is just like, you know, the size of my bedroom or something like yeah. that. It's a small apartment. It's got yeah, a kitchen yeah. and a bathroom. Who has an espresso machine in their closet? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I was, I mean, I, and literally Tom's telling me this, like actually Tom told me that story when we were filming the teaser that we did that released in January that we shot last August. And I was driving him back to the Portland airport and I was like, what the fuck? I was like, really? I was like, God damn. I was, I was tempted to ask Tom if he could ask George to be the mayor at the end of the movie, but I thought that might wow. be too Could you imagine? I know. Why I want not? to be like, Batman again. The water. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have one last uh, question on video, and then we'll move on to the pictures that you've kindly um, sent over. So sure. um, this is from Mikey, um, who asks this. Hi, guys. My question for Vincent is a pretty simple one. Uh, what was your favorite part of uh, Never Heck Alone 2 to film? Because the entire thing looks fantastic, and it all looks like a lot of fun. But out of every single scene, which was your favorite one to film? Um, thank you so much for, for giving us fans of Friday the 13th these kinds of films. I've enjoyed your entire trilogy, and I hope you all are doing great. Well, thank you. That That's a good question. I would say my favorite scene to film was Jason rising out of the water. Um, In the beginning? No, at the end. Oh. Oh, where okay. he, he comes into camp, and it's just yeah, like yep. that that whole slow motion walking out of the water sequence. That was... It was one of the few times where we weren't pressed for time. Um, every other scene in that movie, I mean, we are racing to get shots done. I, it was stressful. It was me in costume, Brian in costume, going back and forth, like all this different stuff. And then we went up to, we returned to that that lake location for the to shoot the end of the movie, where they're on the dock and they you know he throws the GoPro in the water and sink the body down. Um, and also do like the beheading and all that stuff. And that was for night two, but on night one, we shot the end end of the movie 
And then we had all night to just shoot him coming out of the water. And for me, it was a chance where I got to play Jason the entire time. You know, I got in my wetsuit when we went to that, that lake many you know, actually we pre- have pictures um do you, do you, do you want to talk yeah, through? Go, yeah, go, yeah actually yeah yeah this is um most of these um some of these photos will be from the previous teaser and then the second time around but yeah if you want to flip through them definitely sure i mean this is actually me coming home and hanging out the the clothes all to drive this is after they were all soaking wet um so this was my i was staying at a friend's house her name's carolyn gare she's a she's a producer on the movie she was an executive producer on the first movie um and a old colleague of mine from the animation days. So I was actually staying in her son's bedroom who has since gone and graduated college and is on with his life. So one day she came home and she had Jason up on her, on her line because I had to, I had to wash all the crap off the, all, all the costumes. Um, so there's that, but I don't know. That was just a, it was a fun night just because, yeah. And there's Kaiden, uh, Cody Wilkins, uh, Kaiden to the left. Uh, he was, he was in a, a volunteer who became an effects assistant. Uh, in the middle is our FX lead and fabricator, Cody Wilkins, who runs the 3d printing department. And to the right of him is James sweet. Who's the producer on and director of Jason rising or Friday, the 13th fan film. He runs red crow films. And it's because of uh, James, that we have that location. He's the one who scouted that location for us. Let us know that it existed. It's his friends, the Birkenfields that own that property. And so James was essential in getting this location. So uh, the three of them there, we're, there we are together. That's actually the kitchen. Uh, so when you're looking up back at the, at the hill and there's like a little blue building in the background, that's what's inside there. So we were able to have like a full kitchen. Uh, we had bathrooms. We had all those things to shoot in that location. It was such a wonderful place to shoot at. Uh, it was very comfortable. We had a lot of fun there. Um, so that'd be cool. So here's, um, let me see. This is from the second round too. I got a sweet mustache going on there. Uh, this is, we are filming um, Tommy and uh, Kyle on the end of the dock for the end of the film. So this is us doing that entire, entire piece. Um, you know, that was one of our sound guys from Portland. So this is actually a team that was based out of Portland, Oregon, that was shooting in Carson, Washington. So it was a very remote crew. We we're shooting with a much smaller crew here. Um, and I think that I'm actually, I'm actually wearing my wetsuit right now. It's only half down. So like I was getting ready to do water stuff later. Um, but the last time we went out there, the water was completely freezing. I mean, I, jumped in one time both my ears closed and i like started hyperventilating the water was so close when we went out there last year the water was warm and so i spent the entire night just like floating around in the water as jason as they're setting up each shot there are people like doing work on the dock so i'd like go underwater where you couldn't see me and like pop up on the dock and scare people i was just like having fun and then the whole point was just to make it the like as sexy as possible when in terms of making it is cool. Like we wanted to have just this really like, this is like Godzilla coming out of the sea type moment. And mm. uh, definitely super proud of that. There's Kaiden. He became our fog master. I love how he's got both fog machines. <laughs> Get to the truck. Like, yeah. Just running around. <laughs> um, the, uh, there's that. And so once, you know, and then you get a kind of look here, like once the fog got spread out and everything, what we were able to do, um, it was just such a beautiful location and, and just gave us such a good look. There's something uh, eerie and peaceful about it at the same time. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because it's like, we're actually blending multiple camps together to be one place. And it's just amazing that they just, you know, do they just so happen to just match each other? Like, you're not really thinking that like, Oh my God, like the tree bark is just 
a little bit different over here. It's like, no, it's just, they look just like trees and stuff like that. And you're not even going to notice. So we're very lucky that we're able to find things. So here, yeah, there's, uh, that's Evan Butka, our DP and also camera operator. He just operates his own stuff. And, um, when doing this scene, I actually took a kettlebell and I wrapped a rope around it. And so I would sit there and just be like kind of squatting underwater because when you're wearing the silicone and the wetsuit, uh, you just want to float. And I actually think I have a, a weight vest on too. So like, I'm just sitting there underneath the water and I would just try to hold my breath for as long as I could and give them a nice, like as much lead into each shot as possible. Like a lot of those shots where it's just shooting over the water, I'm under the water, just holding my breath, knowing that we're going to use these shots to like, the roll to do that stuff. Um, and it was just fun. I don't know, like anytime I, I get a chance to play Jason and direct at the same time, and it's a very you know, intimate set where there aren't a lot of moving pieces. It is, it is the most rewarding, I think to me, because I get to do everything that I want to do. And I really have full control of everything. And I would say the other scene that falls into that category is the tent scene with Gino and Jamie played by Adam Michaels and uh, Kaylee Michaels, um, who are really good friends of mine. That was fun because I got to play Jason in that too. And it was our sense to really make a true Friday the 13th sequence where Jason's in the woods you know, you know, he's coming and he's going to attack and he creeps in and he sneaks up on people. Um, I love the way that that was one of the last scenes that we filmed. And I just, I love the way that that one came out too. Cool. And this, this shot here obviously is one of the monitors on set, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this is just a monitor. This is where, um, this is video village. This is where we, like, if I was in directing, I would be behind this monitor, but we would have, you know, James and Carl, who are our two representatives uh, for the Pacific Northwest. Carl is the other producer on uh, Jason Rising. Um, you know, they're watching the monitor for me and they're letting me know if anything's wrong. And obviously, you know, Evan has his monitor attached to his camera so he can see. Um, so, but when we're behind camera, this is the monitor that we have, it, you know, and this is where we're watching the movie and everything come together. Was there much upgrades with the uh, equipment? Uh, yeah, since the last time, um, Evan upgraded his camera from a red Epic to a red Monstro Ranger. Um, beautiful, um, uh, sensor on that thing. The way the, the sensor and the Tokina Vista prime lenses work together, uh, with a pro mist filter, which was used a lot in, in the film. It was, I don't know, we just got such a great cinematic view. And in fact, we had tried to put, some grain on the film and we were just like i feel like we're just shortchanging ourselves with the way that we shot this thing like let's just be new and, and fun and the grain caused some other issues too but um there was definitely that uh this is the th that's an actual dummy it's actually at my dad's warehouse right now uh we had to set this thing in place um i was you know i had to we had to push the body down we had to let it fill up with water and then we had to push it into the sediment of, of the the lake bed um, and then we had to work on sort of like positioning the head and do those things. There was a line that ran from the shore underneath the water, underneath all that muck, and then went into Jason's mouth so we could do the bubble at the end. Um, but what was cool was, you know, we'd go down there, we'd set the body, a bunch of sediment would rise into the, into the water. You couldn't see shit. Five <laughs> minutes goes by, it all settles. And what's nice is it started to settle on Jason and make it feel like mm -hmm. he'd been down there for some time. So the more we moved him and the more we just put him in position, the more sediment would just kind of settle on top of him and it ended up becoming like a really natural thing. We originally were going to like do this system where we we're going to put a, uh, a, a fish tank in the water, put the camera in the fish tank and then like float the fish, fish tank connected to a set of like speed rails that would like go over the water. 
But um, luckily, Evan's really, really smart, and he had the proper filter to sort of like not see the reflection on the top of the water, but see right through it. And we just shot it right from the dock and did it and kind of cheated the space and were able to shoot right over the top of the water like we were looking right down. Um, and it ended up working. I mean, it was it became much more simple um, to, to shoot and execute it. I thought it was going to be the hardest shot of the entire uh, film, but it ended up being pretty, you know, other than having to take some time to like, you know, put that body down there, wait for the right time of day for the light to hit it just right. Um, and uh, Kaiden is the one who actually took this photo with his iPhone that can go underwater. So that was pretty cool. Well, excuse us, Apple. Yeah, right. <laughs> did you did you find that you did you try the head in different positions, or was it just uh, you, you knew you wanted to put it there? I always wanted to put it there. Like, there's actually I'll release a a um, what's it called uh, a concept painting that Bill Hunt did that has like the head off to the side. But as far as camera move goes, I wanted to get the feeling like like it was the Titanic. Like if you were going over the wreck of the Titanic, you go over the first half and then there would be some space in between. And then the second half is like a few hundred yards up, up, you know, on the seabed. And that was the same thing here that we were traveling over the wreckage of Jason's body. We would see a little bit of space in between and then the head would be in a separate place. Cool. This way, any layman can actually say, oh, yeah, it's attached from his body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just reaches up and he's like, wait a second. Uh, wait, wait, wait. What? Uh, here's our crew at the original camp from uh, Never Hike Alone 1. Uh, this was the final night of shooting at um, in Angeles Oaks. This week of filming was actually delayed by three months because of uh, – because of a state of emergency in the mountains of San Bernardino, where we weren't allowed to go up in the second week of April and, and film these scenes. Um, they thought that the whole mountain was going to come down and it eventually did as well. Um, that would be a great shot, huh? Oh my God. <laughs> uh, we, we, you know, we had to completely dig out the road and make it passable. Um, but this, all this crew, we, they had to pass up a road that's impassable. So everybody had to walk up the hill. We had two trucks that were going up this thing off-roading with all the equipment. Um, you know, they were, you know, everyone was going to the bathroom and outhouses that haven't been used, uh, since the first never hike alone. And prior to that 1988, um, and you know, sitting in this abandoned place where bats are flying over our heads and there's no clean place to put anything down. But because we had our volunteers um, who were coming up and helping us clean the place, it was much better than it would have been if we hadn't touched it at all. Spiders crawling in the ear and everything. Like <laughs> oh that. my God. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Everywhere. Um, a lot of people, we've, we've got about 15 minutes. Are you okay for time? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm, yeah, I got no, cool. I'm in no rush. Okay, cool. A lot of people have asked us for your ranking. So um, I've done a little slide of it just so that we're not going to catch you. You sent us it in advance. Mm -hmm. um, so should we take a look at that? And you can just talk us it. through it. Yeah. Um, you know, my top, I've always, I've been very consistent with my top three for a long time. Jason lives is obviously my favorite final chapter right behind that. And part two, very close, if not even with final chapter. I love both of those films, final chapter, getting the nod. Uh, because Jason is Jason in that movie. And in part two, like Sackhead's fine, but he looks goofy as hell. Um, <laughs> I would say that, uh, you know, part three and new beginning also share an equal footing. I feel like part three really sort of was going after 3d so much. It lost sort of some of the darkness that part two had. Um, and I thought that as far as like, as a director, that part two is, is Steve Miner's better installment, even though we do get the, the mask in, in part three and new beginning, I feel like is underrated. Um, 
it, it's, it continues the Tommy Jarvis storyline. If I'm going to sit down and just watch Friday the 13th, I'm just going to watch four through six and just watch the Tommy Jarvis storyline, storyline, Jarvis, Jarvis. Um, from there. Yes. Next coming up is Jason X, uh, which is just my personal, uh, a personal favorite of mine. I, it was the first one I saw in the theater. It's a fun film. When you're talking about a film that you're just going to put on in the background and just have playing just to like watch, or even just sit down with like a group of people that you can sit around and have a good time with. Um, Jason X is perfect. Like, yeah, it's not the, it's not the greatest Friday the 13th movie. movie. It doesn't make a lot of sense. The Jason doesn't look the greatest in it, but you do get Uber Jason at the end and all that. It's just a great popcorn flick and it's a lot of fun. And I would say the same thing for Jason takes Manhattan. It's not the best entry, but there's a lot of fun to it. And there's a lot of fun moments. And I do think it's Kane's best performance as Jason. Um, and there's no telekinesis or any weird shit going on. Uh, from there, we start to go into the bottom half, which the original, like I grew up, you know, watching Jason lives first and part seven first. So I was very much in the mode of, like, Oh, Friday the 13th is Jason. So when I got to the original as a child, I was like, where the fuck is Jason? Like, what is this movie? Who is this old lady? And I didn't really appreciate it for it was back then. But when compared to the rest of the films, you know, the original has its moments, you know, obviously the Tom Savini effects, the score and all those things. And, you know, it is, it is the origin, but as far as like something that you want to sit down and watch and enjoy over and over again, I can only watch the original every few years. If I got to watch it back to back, I, I get really, really bored with it. Same thing with the new blood. I feel like the new blood is like the final chapters, like stepbrother. That's like not quite the same. It's like it wants to be the final chapter, but it's not quite the final chapter. And, and the, the characters are, are all unlikable. Um, I'm not really behind anyone. The whole, you know, Jason versus Carrie thing isn't my bag. Um, not a big thing. You know, Jason obviously looks cool in that movie, but when the mask comes off his face, he looks goofy. Um, it, you know, you, I do love it for like the effects work and things like that. It's really, really cool. But again, as, as a film that I can watch and really start to enjoy it's not really one of them. And I would say these bottom three here are ones that I just don't even make time to watch very often. <laughs> um, you know, Freddy versus Jason is fine. Even though he, you know what? Never Hike Alone 2 is playing with Freddy versus Jason tomorrow night in Santa Salem in Salem, Massachusetts. Uh, should be a fun uh, evening. Doug Tate is going to be there. Obviously, Doug Tate's in Never Hike Alone 2. We do the reference to Freddy versus Jason. I just feel like this is when Jason started to become too much of his own like he's almost falling victim to his own uh, genericness in a way that like all of a sudden this idea of what people think Jason is all of a sudden starts to permeate actually what could be. Um, and the film is just very hokey and sort of like all, the, the soundtracks all over the place. The characters afraid are afraid of water. He's afraid of water, which is very <laughs> yeah. embarrassing. Like I it's the first time I ever got embarrassed as a Friday the 13th fan in the theater where I felt embarrassed. Like, that's my guy cowering over <laughs> a leaky pipe. Like, come on. Like, you know what I mean? Like I had pitched that like the way you wanted to do that scene was the water starts to pour down like a waterfall. He can see Jay. He can see Freddie beyond the waterfall and wants to kill him. And when he passes through that waterfall, it's just like never hike alone where like he passes through and you do a very clever cut where when he comes out the other side of that water, he's a child at the end of the dock. And he's no longer this big, he's just sitting there like, oh my God, I'm back to my original form. And then turns around and has that nightmare start to come down on top of him. I thought that that would have been a much more effective way to do it. Yeah. Um, so there's lots of things like that. And I think it's one of the first times that like Jason and 
Jason and Freddie, to a certain degree, ended up in the wrong director's hands. Ronnie, you, yeah, you did Seed of Chucky. Good for you. What What do you know about Friday the 13th? And what do you know about Nightmare on Elm Street? And again, they're falling back on the standard things that people who aren't fans of the series would just assume about the series versus someone who's like, okay, if I got my chance to work with Jason, here's how we're going to improve him or here's how we're going to do it. Nobody in their right mind who's a Friday the 13th fan wanted dopey, sad Jason walking around. Pinball. <laughs> you know, involved, you know, with his big platform shoes and kind of dumping around. It's just not the type of Jason that we wanted, even though Jason does have some cool moments in the movie. Overall, tone wise, not my uh, again. I, and then they, it's like a really like sword style machete. Just Jason started to become a caricature rather than a character. <clears throat> and we wanted the dark version of we wanted, you know, new blood Jason versus like part two. Freddy is what we wanted. And what we got was like Freddy's dead. Freddie and, you know, <laughs> hobo Jason, who we all should feel sorry for. Um, and then rounding out the bottom of my list, Jason goes to hell because no, um, <laughs> just no. Uh, Jason blowing up in the first two minutes of the movie ruined my childhood for a long time. Um, <laughs> and I just wasn't into it. And I wasn't in the body hopping thing. I didn't accept any of the lore. Looking back on it as a fan, I would say that. Um, you could even probably, maybe I made a mistake here. Maybe you could swap Jason goes to hell and Freddie Freddy versus Jason on this list, but like you can go and say, Hey, you know, this is the first time, you know, Friday the 13th really reached high production values. There's good actors in it. There's good performances. People are really committed to the role. There's great kills. There's great effects. All of those things. It's great sex so- scene. I yeah, knew great, you were going to tell you that. Yeah, great. It is. It actually really is a good scene. I mean, if you're a kid in the, in the early '90s looking, wanting to see nudity, that film gets it's it. long. It's long. Um, <laughs> no pun intended. Dustin's mad at me, but I'll get to that in a second. Uh, and so, uh, so in, in the years, I like, and I know that all the hell Adam went through to make that movie, and that wasn't his first choice to do it this way. So I kind of forgave him uh, for that. But um, rounding out the bottom of the list is the remake. And the reason why the remake is at the bottom of the list, this is a $19 million movie. It has 11 other films to learn from. And it learned nothing, made everything more confusing, and then killed the franchise. So Mm. for that, it will stay down at the bottom of that list for as long as it goes until something else comes and supersedes it and allows it to to rise back up. Because right now it earns the character of you killed the franchise. And because of you not being successful enough, Paramount never had the confidence to go back in and make a do a sequel to it. Not only that, the remake doesn't set itself up for a sequel. It doesn't even set itself in, in its own universe. It keeps changing its own rules. We were promised a smart Jason. This Jason is an idiot. He's <laughs> shooting people on a lake in the middle of the day for no reason, just attacking people out of the blue for no reason. You know, he's stealing kerosene in the middle of the day for no reason. He's running like it just makes no sense. Um, I don't like the look of Jason in the movie. I don't like the look of the hockey mask in the movie. I don't like the way he finds the hockey mask in the movie. I think that was a big fumble. Um, and it was the remake is the reason why I made never hike alone because I just saw that every time a new installment came out, they were just getting further and further and further away from the Jason that I wanted. And I was promised the Jason that I wanted in that movie and did not get it. And so I had to do it myself. And so with never hike alone, I said, if you're going to do a smart woodsy Jason that can survive anything that hits him, 
We'll make him undead, make him look like this. And this is how you make someone look smart. And that's, that's really, um, he was smart before all the ganja they were stealing. And that's the other thing too. Like I had to listen to people like, Oh, Jason's a weed farmer because they made it so like, like weird that the fact like, why is there weed growing out here? They never sort of went into that. And the beginning of the movie where they do the flashback to Pamela, I thought was a disservice to Pamela. Like I just, just thought it was so like, again, Marcus Nispel, how much do you really love Friday the 13th? Because for me, you just seem like you watched a few of them and you kind of get it. And this was a paycheck. And so mm. I just sensed that. Like, I don't get the, the feeling of like Tom McLaughlin had for Jason lives the way that like his filmmaking prowess as a filmmaker, you know, wanting to do Jason justice, wanting, like actually wanting to do that. You can tell Tom wants to be there at the end. When I watched the remake, I don't feel like anybody really wanted to be there. Maybe Derek Mears. I will say Derek Mears did a good job. Derek Mears is a great chase and he's the perfect casting choice. And they, they ruined it. They had so much potential with that movie. They could have set up three more sequels, but they didn't. And here we are 14 years later without an official installment. And that $19 million turd is the reason why. (laughs) (laughs) The (laughs) the one thing I do hate about the remake is that they made a lot of us in Northern New Jersey seem like we're inbred. Yeah. (laughs) It is because of the beginning. And they shot it in Texas. Yeah, when when they when they I was about to say because Frank it has it it has that Texas Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake sheen to the beginning, mm-hmm. well because mm-hmm. it's a Bay film, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, which it has is that Platinum Dunes look, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's just it's just we're we're all like you just want to be left alone. We don't sound like that. Yeah, well, <laughs> if he just wants to be left alone, why is he shooting people on the lake with an arrow for no reason? That's not being left alone. That's asking for people to come investigate you. He never went to that house before, and he knows that that house is there for years. <laughs> I think what what's interesting is that the original is so far down your ranking. Frank and I are not fans of the original at all, and we've talked about this quite quite a lot on this channel. You know, uh, both of us hate the fact that the movie plays out like a whodunit, mm-hmm. and. You know, with a who done it, you have you clues throughout the film or an appearance. Yeah, like clue. Yeah, yeah. yeah they have to a, show the person who may have done yeah. it at the beginning of the movie. So somebody came to us um, not long after we did the episode on Friday the Thirteenth, the original, and and showed us a a, a still from the film, uh, a shot of a cabin where you can actually see Betsy Palmer for a oh. split second. <laughs> Like, is, that like when she, is that when she steps into the into the cabin when uh With the poncho Nettie? Yeah, Nettie is is walking down and he sees somebody step into the yes. into the cabin yeah. and he follows. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I and I'd never seen that before. It's, it literally is blink and you'll miss it. And you have to yeah. freeze I always it remember seeing blink. somebody moving. I just never been able, like I never really sort of paused it and zoomed in to see if that was actually yeah. better or not. Yeah, you can if you if with 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 all the 4K versions and things out now, you can actually see her Are curly you sure it's look. not Tom Savini in a blonde wig? It could, it could well be. It could well <laughs> be. I actually enjoy that more. Um <laughs> but, but yeah, it's it's always been one of these films that that kind of doesn't quite work for me. I mean, I enjoy the Savini stuff, I enjoy the score. I, I don't like the ignorance of Cunningham and his his kind of nonchalant attitude to going away and making a, a kind of Halloween clone, which he always mm-hmm. said it was. Mm-hmm. Um thankfully we had part two to kind of reset everything and and cleanse the palette. Know, 
yeah, yeah. But I, I'm I'm with you. The, the the original is way down the list for me. Yeah, and and it always upset me that the fact that like we've been we had to wait so long for this um, this rights issue to settle. And neither of the two people who were fighting over the rights were the real true fathers of Jason. Steve Miner is the father of Jason. Hmm. Jason that we know and love today was born with Steve Miner and what he did. And all he was on the first movie was like Sean's assistant. And they literally looked down on these movies so much back then. They were like, I'm going to let my personal assistant direct the next movie because I don't give a shit. And <laughs> Victor Miller moved on without giving a shit. And he went on to go win Emmys writing soap operas. And Sean went on to make Deep Star Six and house and all these different things. And they weren't really paying attention to Jason. Jason was just, you know, filling Tom's bank account. And obviously, you know, Victor wasn't doing anything, but Victor, I didn't, I don't, other than, you know, other than many years later, 38 years later, you never really heard him say like, Hey, I really want back in, mm. you know, it was only when the money was there that they seemed to be interested and they wanted yeah. to protect it. And the fact that these two people that, you know, they started it, like if it wasn't for Victor and Sean and Sean, you know, and I always say like, Really, the, the father of it is Sean getting that ad in Variety to raise the $790,000 that they had to make the first movie. And he goes out and directs it and does it. You know, and, and we all know he paid Victor for the work that he did. And Victor was like, well, you know, this is just another paycheck and whatever. This will never be anything, whatever. It wasn't until it got legs and started moving on and started making more money that everyone said, like, oh, well, I want my piece. You know what I mean? And the people who suffered because of that was, was the fans. We've hmm. been out, we've been without films for a long time because we had this standing in the way. It ruined the video game. You know, we don't, we don't have the Grendel and we don't have Jason X. And I, I guarantee you there would have been a Nicotario Jason and there would have been, you know, different types of Jason that come on. And who knows if we would have had a chance to get a ghost Jason in the film. I mean, in the game too, if it would have kept going on after all these years, because, you know, they would have continued to make money and raise money and be, be financially secure with the, the game. I, I think it's really unfortunate that, you know, they had to do that. I'm glad that it's settled now, but now the rights are broken in all these different ways that makes it, makes you wonder, like, can they come together for a feature film and actually do it a Friday the 13th with Jason Voorhees, or we're going to have Jason movies and Friday the 13th movies and a TV series. None of it's really ever going to be able to come together again, the way that we really love it. Um, it really is a, a a big issue. Um, to order mm -hmm. J Jordan's question here, uh, what made me go sans red triangles on the mask? Uh, a few different reasons. Um, the original mask is gone. This is in the lineage of Paramount films. Uh, the part six, you know, that mask, who whatever would have been the original from three to seven was destroyed. Part eight was destroyed in part eight. So he has to get a new mask. There's an origin story about how we get this mask, but it's so old and weathered that if there were chevrons on it, it would have washed away. And it came down to an aesthetic choice of like looking at it without the chevrons. It looked cool. It looked ghostly. It gave us a unique look that wasn't trying to specifically do anything from the franchise and sort of pave our own path a little bit. And there was a risk in it. And then I would jokingly say like, well, you know, Jason has red chevrons. Roy has blue chevrons. We're a fan film. We're not an official series, so we don't get chevrons. That's that's how we identify us as, as a fan film. We don't have the official markings, so let's just create our own kind of look. And it ended up working out in our favor. And I think that uh, I think it was one of the riskiest but smartest decisions that I made during the process of making the film. Didn't decide to go with the new NHL goalie masks. No, no, the metal, <laughs> just the metal thing. You just see his broken face behind it. Yeah. <laughs> or I could have done one of the old Cooper masks, like from the Part Five uh, cover. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um. Thank you so much for joining us. 
that this oh, has yes. been a real insight. Um, there was another super chat of Caleb. Thank you very much for sending in the 199. It's just, just a message to um, I think uh, that's Mike. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it's, it's, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a, a real pleasure talking to you about this. Um, you're up to what 1.3 million views in two weeks, three weeks, closing three in, weeks? closing in. We're, we're probably like 1.29 right now or 2.8. Uh, wow. by the end of the day, it should probably be about 1.3, if not into tomorrow. Wow. You got one more uh, super chat from Cody. Oh, yeah. Have we? Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cody sends in a message that I tried to tell you, you dick. Thank you, Mr. Distandy. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tom and Vinny, they're funny. I mean, they, they would argue like that off camera too um when we weren't filming they like to to pick on each other and really keep the rivalry going so anytime i give them a chance to make fun of each other it was just a lot of fun excellent Happy friday the 13th i always <laughs> hated that line for some reason i always hated it <laughs> i wanted to work in a line where he goes it's not even friday the 13th <laughs> i couldn't uh, fit it in in a natural way so i, I didn't i, I didn't don't, I don't think through, i don't think throughout this the franchise no one ever mentions friday the 13th except for him so it is i think it's a little bit mentioned in the first film that like well today was his birthday and um yeah i can't yeah. remember where they mentioned that it's friday the 13th but uh but yeah, that 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 his birthday is June thirty. But other than that, it just really doesn't get mentioned. Maybe. Some some smartass is going to say, "Oh, the title." True, <laughs> uh, but but if you go into parts two through four, I mean, technically maybe two starts on a Friday, but the rest of them are all happening Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So, um, you know, Tuesday the seventeenth. <laughs> um, a few people: uh, Jordan Decker, uh, Duke Fleed, and somebody else. Uh, asked, I can't see it now. Now are asking what you're doing next. Um, are, are there any plans to do anything original, or are you going to continue down the the fan film route, or are you have you got any plans to 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 dig up another horror icon and 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 work with that instead of Jason? Now, when it comes to other horror icons, you'll you'll just see me in producerial role. Um, you know, I was a producer on Dylan's New Nightmare. Uh, I would be open to being a producer on a future Halloween fan film. Um, uh, if, if the right people are involved, I've, I've been on three of them already, but I do like playing Michael, uh, which is a lot of fun. So anything I can come and play Michael for, I would do. But as far as like me contributing my like writing prowess and all those things is all original now. In fact, I, before this, I was on a meeting with my manager. We were talking about a couple new projects. Um, I've got about three or four different projects that are in development at different stages, whether it's a script that's been written with pitch decks, or if I'm in the middle of writing a script, uh, there are short films that I want to do. And when it comes to, Friday the 13th specifically, uh, there's always the, you know, the chance of a Jason rising too, which we have been pitching back and forth. And I would love to be a part of, um, there's also our animation division that we're starting to get up at Womp Stomp films. Uh, we had talked about doing uh, the uh, ghosts in the fog, which is a seven minute, um, animated short film of, that's very much in line with what we did with disappear about like a small group of people that accidentally wander into camp crystal Lake during an intense fog and have to deal with trying to escape with Jason on their heels. Um, if we do that Pamela story, if, or if we do the ghost of crystal Lake, which was the origin story for Jason, those would also be done in animation style. Um, but the next thing that I have to do is uh, I, I will probably be an original short film live action. 
um, try to get that done by next year while I'm in the middle of trying to pitch myself for either a good anthology film or, you know, getting one of my features that we've been working on made. Uh, that's definitely the next goal is to get something into either on streaming or into the theaters and, you know, original work. Killer chicken still in the uh, bag there. Ghost chicken is still on the bag. That's an animated feature. Uh, I'm not an animated feature, an animated short film. That is, uh, I mean, th- there's a whole animatic cut for it. There's voices, there's everything. I just got to get it animated. And that's the expensive part. So yeah. when never hike alone two is out of the way, speaking of which, because it actually involves this with the Indiegogo, our Indiegogo is going to be open through the end of the year. I have a lot of work to do to now get Never Hike Alone and put it onto Blu-ray and make that in a presentable package, behind the scenes, commentary, all that fun stuff. Um, I'm going to be doing the, the fulfillment all the way probably into next spring. But in the meantime, once that's done, because I always go with the, the advent of like, listen, like let me finish my first project before I start raising money for the next project. It seems to be the proper and right thing to do. Uh, once this is out of the way, and I know that we are on the home stretch for saying, okay, everything's paid for, everything will be shipping out. I got that covered. Now let's move on to the next thing. I would say either one of my original live action short films or Ghost Chicken will be the next on the docket for me, crowdfunding for myself. Um, Ghosts in the Fog is going to get its own crowdfund pretty soon because we need to raise more money to get that actually animated. So that will get its own crowdfund probably either later this fall or early next spring. Um, and uh, that's will be when we kind of breach that stuff. But uh, yeah, definitely, personally, I, w- I want to do some original stuff that I can bring to 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 film festivals and, and start saying, Hey, you know, I'm ready. Like I want to start doing original stuff and, and who wants to, uh, you know, who wants to hire me to do the next, whatever. Please bring back claymation. <laughs> I would love to. I love stop motion. In fact, my friend, uh, it's expensive still, right? Still, still expensive. Yeah. Uh, but you know, my friend, uh, Carolyn Gare, who I was talking about before, she just did an entire stop motion feature in her garage. Jeez. Oh, how, long, wow. how long that took, took her two, three years. <laughs> shooting it piece by piece scene by scene and she just released it not wide but she's been doing her festival run with it and she loves it this has become her new me i mean she's an amazing artist and animator and all these different things but she started getting into in fact she's the one who stopped motion animated the the films that are on the womp stomp page uh clean up in aisle 13 and uh what was it i can't remember the name of it but stop motion Friday the 13th where my little Jason doll comes alive on my desk and throws. The oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that's Carolyn. The, day, the YouTube show. That's yeah. yeah so that, yeah, that's Carolyn. And that's, and that's a lot of what she does and she does it now with a lot of fun stuff. So um, it brings the child out on us. Doesn't it? When we see that. Yeah. It's, it's fun. fun. It's, it's, yeah. It's great. Uh, but I love stop motion. I actually applied for a job at Leica uh, a couple of years ago, almost got it. Um, but then I was like, yeah, so at some point I'll have to take a few months off to make Never Hike Alone 2. And they were like, yeah, no. Fired. <laughs> Fired. <laughs> Fired before I even started. Marionettes, uh, Team America. I would a thousand percent make a Team America movie. A thousand percent. Love that shit. With a sex I'm a big. I'm a big South Park fan. <laughs> I can't wait for, uh, what's the new one that they're going to release? Uh into the pandaverse, the pan panda, something like that. Oh panda. yeah, that makes fun oh, yeah. of the multiverse. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I've seen the that. Yeah, yeah. I can't, I yeah. cannot wait to watch that. I know it's going to be. I know it's just going <laughs> to lay waste to everybody. They always do. I love the uh, streaming wars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Caleb Parkinson sends in a dollar ninety nine and says, "I'm convincing my wife to watch your movies with me." 
Nice. Well, you think What was there about convincing? I think that that's nice. I I feel like the Never Hike Alone films really sort of like they they trick people because they have an idea of what Friday the Thirteenth is, Hmm. and then they watch these films. Go, oh wait, there's a little bit more of substance here, stuff that I'm normally trying to watch. Their story, yeah, their story here. You know what I mean? Again, thank you very much. This has been fantastic. I'll thank put you, the link down below in the description after the show ends for um, for your latest campaign and a link to the uh, to, to Never Hike Alone too as well. Um, Frank, you got anything to add? Yeah, get Cody super chat. Oh, late super <laughs> yeah. chat. Yes, I love celebrity diff match. Uh, what was the name of the the ref? I always loved him. Uh, Miles, hey. but Miles, Miles Lane. yeah, Miles Lane. <laughs> Ah, keep it on the thing. But I love celebrity death match. You know, of course, it was like there was horror elements to it because people would be brutally. Do you remember your favorite and, match? I can't even remember. I just I just remember they were hilarious. I used to stay up late just to watch them. I, I it was my favorite part when they would come on. So definitely big big fan of uh, Howard Stern versus Kathy Lee. Pretty funny. Yeah, <laughs> that was a good one. They were all good, and then everyone got their comeuppance. It was just so fun to like. You know, it was like a roast. It was so good. Howard Let's farting her skin off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always a good thing. She hates slashers gore. Did I mess up? No, I don't think she I didn't think you messed up. I think it's I think there's plenty there. Especially Never Hike Alone One. It's a tension movie. So Yeah, yeah. Mm, sneak yeah. it in. Yeah. It's a good, you know, it's 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 there's a lot of uh, build up there, isn't there? There's Judge a, Miles Lane, that's right. Yeah. Judge Miles Lane. <laughs> Judge Miles Lane. <laughs> Dare, do you even know who Judge? Uh, do you know who Miles Lane was? I do remember the celebrity death match stuff years ago. It, it wasn't really a thing over here. It was, I think, maybe on MTV or something. Yeah, the famous a boxing ref. Yeah. Oh, Judge Mills Lane was he? Okay. Yeah, yeah. He was. He was he's the one who refed uh, uh, Tyson uh, Holyfield. Oh, okay. With the year. Yeah. 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 Stop eating him. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Uh, thank you very much, Vinny. Uh, stick around. We'll say uh, goodbye. Uh, yeah, uh, nicely. Instead of just okay, yeah. kicking off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you, everybody who showed up. And remember, never hike alone. Too watch it. It's good. It's great. We like it. And as we always, stick to the roads. And the best of luck. We'll see you soon. Bye. See you guys. Bye bye.